Welcome back to the Reflux Blue Show, everybody. I'm your host, Donovan Beery, and we're from How Design Live, and just got out of the uh, session with Fonz Morris. Welcome. Fonz, and you're from uh, Netflix. Like a, <laughs> all, I got a text from somebody in there. Hold on, I got to read this directly. Got to read this directly. <laughs> just to let everybody know. Fonz, colon, dead-ass smart effing product designer. Wow. So... <laughs> Now, let me see if I got a timestamp on this. This was at 4.07. So that was, that was you know. As soon as it ended. Wow. That is a, gr- that is a very, very positive compliment. I will take that. I, I consider myself to be smart. I consider myself to be a, a very dedicated product designer. That's my thing, man. Just dedicated. I mean, did you get into Netflix because you're a product designer? Or did you get into product design because you're at Netflix? I got into Netflix because I'm a hard worker and a and a networker. I told myself when I moved from the East Coast to the West, part of the reason I was moving was I wanted to be more in the design culture. I didn't feel the East Coast had the design environment I was looking for. So when I relocated to the West Coast, I would always take the train from San Jose up to San Francisco one, two, three times a week. People thought I lived in San Francisco. That's how much I used to go to San Francisco because I wanted to go to every talk, every meetup, every portfolio review, whatever, and an event that I went to. Because that's where the technology is. Yes, sir. And then when you think of all the companies that's out there, Google, Stripe, Twitter, Slack, Netflix, Apple. So all of these companies are always having these type of events. And I went to an event that was focused on networking, and I met an engineering manager from Netflix, and we hit it off. And that's what got the process rolling of me applying to Netflix. So... I knew what I was talking about, but if I never went to that event, I don't know if the Netflix situation would have happened as smoothly. Yeah, you'd be a product designer for, for someone else. Probably another blue chip, Meta, Apple, or something like that. But I really like working at Netflix. It's different than the other companies. It's a lot smaller. How big How big is the, the product design team? 200 people total. Oh, geez, yeah, because you say it's a lot smaller, and I'm like thinking, you know, I work, I have one other oh. part-timer in my office, oh, no. and I'm like, oh, yeah, you're just a small little group, and then you're like 200 plus. I'm but like, if you oh, think about the amount yeah, of employees yeah, yeah. that's at Meta or Google, that's like thousands You are thousands. correct. Yeah, I think like IBM's design team is Massive. a couple thousand. Yeah. yeah. So when you think of us, and then when you think of a brand as big as Netflix with as much product as we put out, 200 people, to me, doesn't seem like a lot. Are you guys responsible for, you know, I mean, you have the Netflix I guess application itself, mm-hmm. what what we see, but then they also they create all a lot of the content is made for Netflix. Mm-hmm. Are you responsible for like anything with that content or is mm-hmm. that individual? Okay. So I'm in San Jose. Well, I'm in Los Gatos, which is the product team. The content team is based out of LA and that is so complicated. They have some of the stuff is done internally, some of them is deals with already existing brands that have stuff that want to get on the platform. So that's a whole nother monster that isn't even my team, honestly. Well, but I will say one piece before that was the way my team looks at the platform is non-member and member. So I work on the non-member space most of the time, which is converting people who don't have a Netflix account to become a Netflix subscriber. Also, a lot of our members are members that just leave and keep coming back. Because maybe their favorite show left the platform, and then they see, oh, season two's coming on. So they come right back to the platform again. Yeah, because there's a lot of platforms out there. There's Um, a lot, for sure. And and, and, and Netflix, I know you you weren't the first streaming platform, Mm -hmm. but 
But you were in the first wave of the ones people started subscribing to, I would say. Mm -hmm. and, and I do know that with that many platforms, I don't know anyone that is subscribed to all of them. I'm, I'm assuming right. there are there are some people, but right. but they don't. And and so yeah, sometimes you're like, I have to. We we add like Showtime on when mm -hmm. when when enough episodes of some mm -hmm. show that we used to watch. But that's one where we mm -hmm. just then cut it. But the interesting thing I've noticed is that people share their streaming. So you'll pay for Disney. I'll pay for Netflix, somebody else will play for Hulu, somebody else plays for Amazon Prime, and they share the passwords, and that's how they benefit from being able to get access to all of the platforms without having to pay for all the platforms. And, and how does how does Netflix, like how does that affect you as a product designer? We want you to have your own account. We want you to value Netflix Well, that's Netflix what I mean. How does, how does that, yeah, how do you, how do you, how does that work into the equation of what you do? I'm trying to figure out what is it that I can do? How can I represent Netflix to make you want your own account where you don't feel sharing it? Like the way you don't share your Amazon account most of the time, you don't share your email address. So getting into the mind of our users to understand how do we, what levers or what things do we say or how do we add importance to your Netflix account to where you wouldn't feel comfortable sharing it with anybody. Those are some of the things that we're spending our time thinking about how do I make you say, you know what, I think you should get your own Netflix account and I'm not going to share my password with you. Okay. Well, full disclosure, that we actually pay for our own Netflix account. And by we, Good. I mean my, my family. So That's fine. Yeah. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> like me, the wife, the kid, the same That's household. That's fine, Donovan. I'm what not going to remember your name and go tell anybody. that. No, I'm saying know. on this one, I actually, you don't have to tell them on that one. I'm just, that's what I'm telling you. Like, we're good on this one. So... It, but, but you know, I mean, obviously, we, we're one household is what, what I mean, my family. Right. So mm -hmm. not like my extended family. Right. So. And see, some people share their password with a mother might ended up giving it to their son that goes to college. And now their son gave it to everybody in their friends. The son goes to college. He ain't adding his own. Their but, That's got to be but the hardest. But the son yeah. gave it to all his friends. And yeah. so now one account has multiple people subscribe to it. We would prefer all those people to have their own account. Well, we're going to be right back with uh, with Fonz Morris. I guess the thing that struck me, I, I just got the, the tail end of your talk, was the scale of Netflix. You, you did like a, four, a short animated video to, to get um, new subscribers, and you mm -hmm. said that that little video was worth $30 million in revenue a year, which at mm -hmm. most companies, that's more revenue than they make in a year. Mm -hmm. so, so what's it, I mean, is, is there more stress or... When you when you know that everything you do just because of the size and the scale, any sort of percentage change is like a huge upshift. Mm -hmm. uh, stress? No, I wouldn't say stress is the right word. I would say it's just more focused on that. We can't just make any decision. That's why I said at the beginning of my talk how important user research is and how important data is because we know anything we do has that kind of impact. Where when you think of Another test that I said, we moved some buttons from the right side of the screen to the left side of the screen, and it cost us $5 million because people weren't, the users that would usually sign up weren't signing up because of the button move. So we're just extra sensitive to things as opposed to stressed. I would say we just know there's a lot of different things that could have massive impact, so we're very careful about the edits and the things we make and the decisions we make and the products and the features that we roll out. How do you, as a, as a designer, still try to stay innovative and 
experimental and to do things that, that may have the upswing of you know massive change or really helping the user knowing that just moving a button could cost you $5 million. Because it's about optimization. To me, innovation doesn't always mean new stuff, new features, new magical things. It's about improving on existing experiences that we have. Like we said, they work, but now are there ways that we can tweak it to make it work better? Some ideas, some, some solutions require us to be extremely innovative, where this is a blank slate and we come up with whatever harebrained creative ideas you want. Some solutions don't require that. Some solutions require you to revisit what you currently have and just optimize on it. Yeah, because you're working for a company that also just kind of created something that didn't really exist before. I mean, it started, I, we had a subscription years ago that with, where we'd get CD or DVDs mm -hmm. in the mail. Mm -hmm. And then that just shifted to they're like, no, we're going to focus on just streaming. We still have DVDs. Like in my talk, I said there's still 2.7 million people that that subscribe to our DVD plan. So there's still a lot of people that use it. And, and, that, and I assume they use it because there is content that you can get via DVD that you can't via streaming. I would say that. And I think it's also some people just enjoy the DVD experiences. Some people don't use internet like that. Like for instance, my dad, he doesn't have internet at his house. He's, he's older school like that, but he'll watch a DVD in a minute. He has a DVD player. So I think it's a mixture of multiple things. I think some people, like you said, some content is only available on DVDs, older content. And I think some people just aren't overly tech savvy where everybody doesn't have broadband to be able, and everybody doesn't have a smart TV either to be able to to watch Netflix on their TV from that perspective. Yeah, when they started the streaming, and, how, and that's been a while, mm -hmm. I remember it's like, well, what if you're somewhere where you don't have internet, but that's slowly becoming, yeah. I don't know the last time I'm going to play I mean, that but, have internet. But if you're going to plan to be somewhere that doesn't have internet, you can just download the movie. Like If you're going to be on a plane, you just download it and just watch it offline. So I don't know if the internet, not having it, like being able to have the internet and then not having it pushes DVDs, I think it's more of we just don't have internet, but we still have a DVD player. So this still works for us. And maybe they're not the most, maybe they don't consume content as much as somebody who streams, where you could watch Netflix all day, every day. Maybe some people only still have time to watch it periodically. So a DVD is a good experience for them because of how they ingest the content where maybe they only watch it on the weekends so planning for the week and ordering your dvd to come it's a whole experience as opposed to just having it at your fingertips all the time because you don't have time to consume it that much you've got a team of 200 people you're dealing some people you're dealing with trying to get people to sign up for just dvds sometimes sometimes you're dealing with people that are going to sign up for streaming services. You're trying to get people to not share their password with their entire fraternity. Mm -hmm. This is this is this is a lot of stuff. Like like, do you have a list? Do you have to do all this in one day? Like these are there, there's there's a number of tasks here. There is not enough hours in a day to do all of the different things that Netflix would like us to do. So prioritization is extremely critical, and that's why I have a lot of love for our product managers. They're just brilliant and as well as the executives, we move around, we move off of strategy bets. So as a company, we decide what's going to be important for the company for the year, and then we break those strategy bets down and figure out how to execute on them. So whatever ideas we end up doing, they will always tie into a strategy bet. So it's not as if we're just 
pulling ideas out of the blue or just working on random things. They always build up into a bigger goal for the company. So that allows us to not be overly constrained, but it still does give us direction. It still gives us some form of a North Star. And then based off that, we prioritize where, well, maybe we don't want to spend all of the resources it's going to take to get this project done this quarter, but we can get a couple of smaller things done this quarter. So even though maybe the the bigger bet might be what we want to work on, but constraints won't allow it. So we'll just knock out a couple of the smaller ones and then move to the next quarter to work on the bigger one because now we have more resources to be able to dedicate to things. So there's just a lot of prioritization. There's a lot of planning and there's a lot of communication from the top down and from the bottom up as well. So it's like a two-way street. And so they, they do give you the opportunities to create one of these beds or whatever you call it sometimes mm-hmm. or come up with ideas or throw it out there. We can push back on bets as well. I've seen bets be pulled out of the strategy bets because some people in the company asked good enough questions to be able to, to help us really decide, is that the best strategy bet for the company? Okay. Well, we're going to be right back with Fonz Morris. So Fonz, you, you said you, you kind of got into the technology and the Netflix because you networked and, and, and you said all of the, the technology companies did networking events. Mm-hmm. How far is that commute, by the way, when you said you almost live in two there? Two hours, two hours up and down. I was commuting. I was going to work for eight hours and then spending four hours on train just to get up there. But that's because I'm hungry like that. And that's what I moved out here for. I'm a hard worker and I know nothing's going to come easy. I didn't come out here with any connection. So anything that I do, I'm going to have to build on my own. So but I know what it takes to be great. So some days I was on a train coming back from San Francisco by myself, wow. own person. Obviously, but, but this is a community that even though they take, they also give a lot, which mm-hmm. is why they're doing these, these night events that inviting people. Do you do anything to give back as well? Oh, my goodness, do I? <laughs> I have, honestly, I think I have maybe over 50, 60 mentees that I've, that I've interacted with. I just got a message from someone on Friday who said, I spoke at a conference. I asked the conference for free tickets to give to young designers and maybe some people who couldn't afford to go to the conference. I gave out those tickets and one of the students, well, not students, one of the the junior designers I gave the ticket to messaged me and said that they met a recruiter at that event and now they now have a job as a product manager at JP Morgan. So because I feel I have a seat at the table, because I'm on the other side of the fence, I'm constantly trying to find ways to bring people over, whether that's mentoring, portfolio reviews, giving them access to conferences, just one-on-one conversations, just whatever I can do to be inspirational and support my community. It's, it's multiple things, but I would say mentorship is is a big part of it. I actually helped launch a mentorship program at Netflix now that we have, which is a UX UI program that we call Pathways that introduces freshmen and sophomores in historically black colleges and universities and Hispanic serving institutes into the design space. We don't have any requirements for it except you must be enrolled in a school of that's that's on our catalog and you have to do a slight application process that we all vet to see if you're interested, if you really care. And we're 
we're already finishing our third cohort. We've already put over 100 students through it. Some students have went on to get jobs at other tech companies. Some of the interns have, I mean, not interns, some of the participants have actually gotten internships at Netflix. So it's a way to give access to a space that I think is still a little walled off. And I like throwing that rope over the fence and trying to help people. And I do know in our profession, and there, there, there's been, there's different organizations that have, that have done well at trying to reach out and get diversity. But, but when, when our audience is a large diversity, mm-hmm. it helps to have designers designing for that diversity as well. That, that kind of, because there are the different, yeah, I think, I think it, I think it, you know, it's going to end up if you're targeting audiences or you want to communicate with audiences, it helps if those audiences are somehow involved. Right. That's, I mean, I prefer an inclusive, diverse, open-minded design team. I think that's how you build a world-class product because if a diverse group of people will be using it, doesn't it make sense to have a diverse group of people building it? I just feel like that's kind of like common sense. I don't feel like that's too complicated. So when you have different perspectives working on something, you prevent things from being so narrow-minded where you can say, hold on a second, I didn't interpret it that way. Hold on, I don't use it that way. Hold on, I didn't think of it that way. And that allows us to keep pushing the idea and keep building something that actually works for everybody as opposed to just one community or one genre or one area of the world. Yeah, because in, in Netflix's case, and, and I know this is with some some other companies too, but especially in your case, it's not just a... You know, oh, this is for people in San Francisco. It's you have users worldwide. You have 190 countries, 200 million users. So we definitely think about the whole planet with every decision we roll out. It's so many different things, so many checks, so many check boxes we have to fill before we roll something out to make sure that we consistently stay that brand that is inclusive, but also still feels personal to you. How do you focus test something that's going to go out to 190 countries? You start with smaller markets first. Sure. Maybe two or three countries. Get some feedback on that. See if there's any massive red flags that you need to learn about before you would move to a bigger market. So you want to start with a smaller market in case it doesn't go too well, as opposed to you start with a big market like the United States and what happens if you get some pushback now, it's like, oh, it's all in the news and it's all of these things where you can start at a smaller market with less users, get some data, get some learnings and then decide, okay, we're on the right path. Let's optimize this, let's make this better or wait a minute, we have some edits to make and it's a good thing that we only roll this out to a little bit of people. So we don't roll things out what we consider as being productized until we've done series of tests and the data shows that it's ready for the market. And how do you pick what markets to go? Do you also, because I assume you also want to do testing on that's very, some diversity as well. That's very detailed. There's a lot of different nuances to it. There's no exact one way. It's not like every time we do something, we start in the same area. It could be, most of the time there's data that we have that support why we should do this market. Have we had a price increase recently? What's the current state of things in that country right now? Do we have any other supporting data that shows that this would be a good market to roll this out in? And by having such a a strong consumer insights team, we work with them all to decide, also with the product management team to decide, okay, let's do Latin America and let's do Costa Rica and 
Belize. Let's start there because that's a smaller market. Or we say, well, this feature that we're trying to fix is something that would be really helpful in Australia. So let's figure out how to do some testing in Australia first. So it's all about what the bigger solution needs to be, how many people are affected by this problem that you're trying to solve, and then how can you build up to building the best solution because you're probably going to need a couple of tries to get it right. Yeah, there's just the more I even try to comprehend this, just the complexities of everything. I'm like, yeah, these these are not a, uh, no, I think I can solve this in a couple minutes. No, man. I mean, we have these currently what we're dealing with. I mean, we have four hour meetings. We have seven hour meetings. And then in between the meetings, you're still communicating and slacking and emailing and reading specs and leaving comments and specs. It's a lot of work. I know people think it's probably very glamorous to work at Netflix, but I have to be honest, it is a lot of work. I love it, though. I wouldn't change it for anything, but if you put on my size 9 Nikes right now for a couple days, you'd probably say, wow, I didn't know it was this much work working at Netflix. (laughs) I didn't know it was this much work. But we have uh, stunning colleagues, amazing resources, amazing leaders in a company, and all of that together, I think, is what allows us to really be as successful as we are. Okay, well, obviously, it's, it's Netflix.com, but if people yeah. want to follow follow your me, work or your definitely. other stuff, where, where, do, where do people go? LinkedIn is a good place for me. I pride myself in trying to respond to everybody that ever sends me a message on LinkedIn, even if it may be a little bit late, but I'm honored to have people wanting to reach out to me. So, Fonz Morris on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter. I'm Young Fonz on Twitter. Or you can go to my website, FonzMorris.com. That just gives a little bit of insight into some of the projects I've worked on. It's not a portfolio. It's more of a, a, a list of the different events that I've participated in, mentorship programs, my activity in the community, as opposed to a place to just see the work I'm working on. If you want to see what I'm working on, just go to Netflix.com. Yeah, and, and, and if you're logged in, I assume you have to log off. Log to out. see your work. Yeah, well, yes. That depends. It depends on which project I'm on. Oh, for the ooh, For okay. the project that I presented today, you need to be logged out to see that. For the project I'm working on now, you would be logged in to experience it because I'm, even though I focus on non-member, this solution that I'm trying to come up with, it kind of crosses borders in between member and non-member. So I'm fortunate enough to get to work in both spaces and on multiple platforms. I get to work on TV, I get to work on web, I get to work on iOS and Android. So just in the last two years of being at Netflix, my skill set has gone through the roof because it's such a robust platform. It's just, there's just so much. So much. So much. It is so much. So if, if you got one of these young people you're, you're mentoring, maybe they're older, I don't, I guess mm-hmm. age does not matter here. Mm-hmm. What do you, what do you tell them if they want to do this stuff and you're like, there's, oh, here's like 8,000 things. I tell them to, to to go all the way back to step zero and think about what you're passionate about. Think about your strengths, your weaknesses. Think, some, think about what makes you happy, what's, what gets you excited about design. I tell them to do things like pull out their cell phone and tell me what's the most popular, what's their favorite app on their phone and why is it their favorite app? And would they want to work for that company that built that app? And then, well, if you want to work for that company, would you want to work for a competitor? So I try to give people a, a starting point, a path to figure things out. The end, life is moving fast. The internet moves fast. There's a lot of blurred information, but I don't feel a lot of people try to 
have you slow down and really think about the steps that it takes to be successful, whatever you consider as being successful. So my first advice is usually something like that, to take a second and think about what your dream job would be, your dream company. But then after you say that dream company, I need a little bit more of like, well, why is that your dream company? What is it? And I try to steer them away from things like just the name or your salary, because that's not enough to keep you happy at a job. So when It'll you focus on that- It'll keep you happy that, for a short amount of time. Not long enough for you to- You are correct. To still want to get up and yes. go to a seven hour meeting after you just got finished with five hour meetings the day before. But when you're passionate, like I'm passionate about design. I love design. I Don't get me wrong. I like my check every two weeks, but- I would be lying if I said I do it just for the money. It's like I don't get paid enough to do it just for the money. I I do it for the love, and I'm fortunate enough to get paid for it. This is a profession where even if you're if you're paid well, you will it'll burn you out if you for if, sure if that is the only reason you're doing it. Burnout is one of the I would think burnout and companies poaching employees are two of the bigger issues in design. Well, the third one I would say is upward mobility. Like people want to get promoted. People want to grow their career. So sometimes it's not that easy to get promoted at your current position. So you have to go somewhere else to get that raise or that bump up that you want. So that's just the way the industry goes. Yeah. And I mean, some places they're just, I mean, you kind of know when you, you get hired that there's no upwardness there. It's tricky. In some places, it is really hard to grow. But, you know, that company may give you the credibility and the status that you need that now opens other doors for you because people don't want to take risk on a new idea or a new person. But if you're getting stamped by these blue chip companies, then they're like, well, if you were good enough for Meta, then you must be good enough for us. I don't agree with that. I actually push back on recruiters about that. And I, I grill them with questions around that because just because someone worked at another company, I don't feel that's a good enough sign that they'll be. I assume that also hurts you with the diversity because you're, you're just being kind of rubber stamped through the system and not necessarily through your ideas. And right. And you're just recruiting the same people. That's why programs like the one that I said at Netflix is so important, Pathways, where we're, we're giving an opportunity to people that now they have this amazing Netflix name on their resume as a freshman or sophomore in college. They're going to get that same, that like we just said, they're going to get that opportunity that other people have gotten for years because they have those names. And that's what I'm excited about that program is being able to give people a shot early and play the game that... It's just a game. Yeah, and, and I think it's a great program, it sounds like. No, it's an amazing yeah. program. The students get full access to Netflix, Netflix employees. I helped build the curriculum. I helped work with our internal. How many people are in the program, by the way? Like, how big is the program itself? So it's about three tracks. It's a computer. So it's a data science track. It's a Java engineering track. And it's a UX, UI track. Each track has about 30 to 35 students in it. So it's about 100 students per semester. Oh, for, and for the size of company you're talking about, that's, uh, I mean, like your, your team, the size of your team, size of that, that's, a, that's, a, that's like a, a true dedication to it. It is. I mean, we, we have mentors, I mean, mentees that are in the program, as well as we visit the course and do talks. We do portfolio reviews at the end. They do capstone projects that we review. So we're heavily involved in the program. It's not just uh, it's not just us doing it just to say we did it. Yeah, if you told me, oh, we got three kids in it, I'd be like, 
Mm, no. That we've, doesn't sound like a program. We've already put a couple hundred students through it. And I'm just so proud because none of these programs were around when I was getting started. So it feels good to be able to know how things were when I started and be able to be a part of change. No, well, I think, I think it's fantastic. So, all right, we got to ask Bert how. You, you get to you you, you actually attend anything else? Or you... you I mean, the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile is here. I saw it, is here. it while it I was walking. It is leaving today, though. It is? Yeah, you got to see it. I think, I think it's no, good. I saw it. Like, I peeked in. Like, I was walking past the you conference room and I saw it. it. They'll let you sit. sit but do it. they have, like, hot dogs on them? No, but they'll give you a wiener whistle. Nah. It, it, leaves, it leaves tonight because they have other things to do. They do. So it won't be here tomorrow, but it'll be here. I, ju I just talked to the, <laughs> one of the drivers. And and she said they have to they had to take it up through an elevator to get it's, it in that it's exhibit huge. hall. It's yeah, it's huge. It's like it's like sixty wieners long or something. I mean, but what kind of elevator can fit that? That's a massive. elevator. And she said it because uh, I was I just asked her too. I was like, did you have to like measure the Cut elevator before you get? She said, nope, plenty of clearance on all sides. Oh my! I mean, well, this is a massive convention center, so I guess it makes sense to have a big elevator. An right? elevator that'll support a wiener mobile. <laughs> I do want to try to catch some other talks. I'm doing another one tomorrow about inclusive design. And I have some meetings, but I'm going to squeeze in at least two or three tomorrow. Like, I want to support people the way they came out and supported me. That means a lot. Yeah. And, and what's, what's the talk uh, takeaway from tomorrow's? Tomorrow is how... How does Netflix continue to build such an inclusive product? Like, what are some of the steps? What are some of the things we go to to make sure that we're staying on track with building an inclusive product for the planet? And just giving some insights on some things that we do, some processes that we always go through to make sure that we stay true to that. Okay. Well, I look forward to, uh, and what, what time is that? The talk? 10. Oh, 10, okay. So, so you'll actually have time to do your talk and actually then to, yeah. to actually settle down. So there was a little more hectic. Delta didn't want me to be great, but I still hung in there. So I got here just in enough time to go into the hotel room and get here to do my talk, but that was a success. So that kind of stresses off my back. And they have an event later today for the speakers to talk. So I want to mingle. Like I said, I love networking. I love talking and supporting the community. And that's what I'm gonna do tomorrow as well. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of great speakers, yourself included. So a ton of you, great speakers. You'll have a great time. I'll, I'm already having a great time. All right. Thank thank you very much, Fonz. And, thank you, Donovan. Uh, hopefully, we'll catch up with you later. Appreciate it, maybe, sir. Maybe we can we can you know hijack the Wienermobile or like you know if they're not giving out or, grilled, but if they're not giving out grilled hot dogs with ketchup and mustard, then no. I don't know if they ever do though. It's just the wiener whistles, just a ton. I don't know. I'm telling you, man. But imagine if they did give out foot long grilled hot dogs. Man, that line would be around a corner. It would be. <laughs> I'm telling you. I'm not saying people don't want to see it right now, but if they was giving out free hot dogs. <laughs> if if you were here in I, I'm I'm so bummed. I uh, I came in pretty late on Saturday, but but for people that were here earlier on Saturday. Mm -hmm. There were free hot dogs? No, there were free oh. rides. In the oh, they drove gosh. people around Boston in that thing. That's what I'm going to get you for Christmas, Donovan. I'm going to get you a, a chance to ride in the Wienermobile. I'm going to just go to their website and see if I can set that up for you. I think you need to set that up as a Netflix program. <laughs> and and <laughs> Finish the UXUI program and you get the ride in the Wienermobile.
Hot dogs not included. Well, you can always stop for hot dogs. <laughs> the fact that this podcast is even talking about hot dogs is fantastic. I mean, this it's, is the fluidness. Here's the problem. It's getting close to dinner time now. And I'm hungry. I've been, I've been in the Wienermobile today. Yeah. Like, this is where it's, this is what happens. I'm definitely this thinking about what's for dinner, man. But this podcast was great. And thank you, Donovan. I was late. But you know, you didn't say you missed your you were, time. You weren't late. I can't You're on talk conference to you. time. You're on you, conference time. You patiently waited, and I'm glad you did because this podcast was great, man. I love the questions. I appreciate your energy and your vibe and your support. And I'm always here for this type of stuff. If you ever want to do part two, let me know. Well, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad this worked out, and, and I hope to see you at another event. Oh yeah, for then, sure, so. brother, for sure. Thank you, right. everybody, for tuning in. The Reflex Blue Show with Donovan Beery is hosted at 36point.com. Music by Dust Lab.